Get things going on this Friday, March 24th. Coming at you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Steinberg and Vickers. And I don't really... There's a lot of different places we could start this hour. Um, There's lots going on. Good, bad, otherwise. There's lots to get into. Uh, But I guess we'll start with Thursday's 3-2 loss to Vegas. We'll get to some other stuff a little bit later on this hour. First of all, hi. How are you? Hi, buddy. I'm um, great. Good to see you. You? Wonderful. Mr. Wonderful. So, three, Mr. Wonderful. Ooh. Why not? Mr. Fantastic. Mr. Pectacular. Pectacular. I believe that's, uh, that's a wrestler's name, Mr. Pectacular. It's, it's Steinberg and Vickers, not Steinberg and Pike here. I don't get these references. <laughs> Pike would have got that. I right. know he would have. Um, good on him, too. 3-2 loss to Vegas on Thursday. And I guess I guess let's start with everything that that didn't happen on the ice or or that isn't just related to the on ice stuff. Western Conference didn't help the Flames on Thursday. Flames didn't help themselves on Thursday. They lose in regulation. Jets win in regulation. Preds win in a shootout. Seattle gets a single point. So anything that you could point to that the Flames were chasing got points and the Flames got zero for their own. That was just it felt like if you were, and I and I don't begrudge you if you were, but if you were in that camp that was still hanging on and still saying like, okay, there's still everything's still on the table and everything's still in front of them, and I, I think Winnipeg's going to falter, and I think the Flames can catch him. It just felt like even for that crowd, and there were lots of you that were in that crowd. It just feels that was like an absolute dagger, and then a couple more daggers thrown in on Thursday when they couldn't find a way to tie it. And then when you saw the other scores, it just feels like Thursday was kind of that, I don't know, maybe not final because mathematically there's still days and days and days until they would uh, be eliminated. But it just kind of felt like that that crippling blow and now you're just kind of trying to claw your way up off the mat. That, that's what that's what Thursday felt like. Did it feel like you've lost roughly 17% of your opportunity or projection to make the playoffs? Because that's exactly what Money Puck kind of projected it at. Now the Calgary Flames sit six back of the Winnipeg Jets with an even 73 games apiece. They're even one back of the Nashville Predators who just won't go away, and Nashville has three games at hand. So you got to figure between the Jets and the Predators, the Flames are in dire straits right now. Like This is not an enviable position to be at. Nine games left, possible 18 points. So if you're really glass half full guy, Calgary could get to 97. The Jets are projected somewhere 94 and a half, but the team hasn't won more than back-to-back games on multiple occasions since late January and haven't put together longer than a three-game win streak all season. So suddenly to run the table at nine and get to 97 points, eh, not loving it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody... Ex- uh, like I but know, they that, might take that. I know that everybody talks about. Well, we got to win every game, uh, and realistically, that that was kind of the the night that I think most 
even the most optimistic started waving the white flag. And yeah, you take a look at whether it's it's ineffective math or money puck or the athletic and, and Dom decision or any of these projection, my ho- uh, hockey reference, any of the the playoff projection models that you look at, they, they all took an absolute uh they all took an absolute dive after that one, and yeah, it was a it was a rough night. And six back with nine to go, with two teams to jump, one of them having all the games in hand, the other one having a six point edge, and not having like a, a super difficult schedule themselves. It just it was it was a bad Thursday, and the Flames obviously did themselves no favors as they continued to be in this win one lose one win one lose one type pattern and that win one lose one type pattern is not going to get you into the playoffs when you already have a gap to make up yeah it was certainly worst case scenario with nashville trailing then tying it one one against seattle going on to win in a shootout as you mentioned the jets taking two points it's uh yeah you mentioned it a 500 points percentage isn't necessarily going to get it done from here on out but that's basically what the calgary flames have been playing at over the last little bit where, as you mentioned, back-to-back wins have been hard to come by for the Flames, never mind putting something together. And I would have to think, and I'm curious to see what the text line thinks at 960-960, but even the most optimistic fan, I'd love to know what the sell point is, what the pitch is here right now in yeah. terms of the Flames being a playoff contender. Yeah, and I don't know. And if and if you are still, if you are still trying to keep it as... Um, if you are trying to keep it as, as glass half full as possible... I I commend you and I a little positivity to balance the negativity over the last number of weeks is always a good thing if you ask me um because it's it's been um it's been a slog it's been a grind and and it's been difficult to talk about things in positive light over the last little bit because of the the situation the flames have put themselves in it's just it's kind of it's kind of like what we saw last night and and on the ice against Vegas. They put themselves in a tough situation by digging a two nothing hole and coming out flat and against good teams. Most of the time, it's hard to come all the way back. And this season, going into the second half, they dug themselves a hole and put themselves in a spot where they had to chase multiple good teams and. Usually when you put yourself in a hole that you're climbing uphill, it's typically really difficult and the odds are stacked very much against you to be able to make that ground up and get where you want to go. And that's where the Flames find themselves here. Well, not just a good team, the Pacific Division and Western Conference leading Vegas Golden Knights. And not to rewind too far back, but what was the general vibe on Flames Talk post game? Was it acceptance was it frustration was it denial what adjective are we tossing yeah i think it was acceptance and understanding that yeah this probably nine games to go is is probably just not enough runway uh when it's all said and done and i mean that would be completely understandable because when it comes down to it the calgary flames as it stands right now and you mentioned it they don't just have to catch winnipeg now they have to catch the nashville predators who three games in hand a possible six points that means they could in theory trail Nashville by seven. Now, odds of them rattling off three in a row. I mean, Calgary's done it. Nashville can do it. I don't think it's necessarily a foregone conclusion that all of a sudden, games in hand, Calgary's seven back. But now you got to jump two teams instead of just one. 
And apologies to the Nashville Predators. I said it from the trade deadline onward. Wrote you off. You're still here. And to move those pieces out that they did, Granlin, Niederreiter, Ekholm, and still find a way to be in this race, tip of the cap to them. And if the Calgary Flames maybe capitalize on a few more opportunities, yeah. they might be more in this conversation as well. Well, and Winnipeg's doing their best to, to give this thing away. I they mean, they're, just, they're serving it up. They just barely have gotten past Arizona and Anaheim the last two games. Just barely. They they held on for a 2-1 win against the Coyotes at home. And they needed a second straight game. Adam Lowry had to score a game winner. And I don't, they didn't hold on against Anaheim, but they trailed and the Ducks tied it in the third. Like they are battling against, and it's not, we're used to it here. I'm not even criticizing Winnipeg because we're used to it in this market, but you know, that they are doing their best to not lock this thing down. They are doing their best to hold this door open. And, and you know, we don't, we don't want this to be cut and dried. We want to make it interesting. And yet the flames have not been able to do their part on a regular enough basis to, to keep it as interesting as perhaps it could be. Winnipeg five, four and one in their last 10 Nashville, five, three and two and Calgary five, three and two. So it's almost a, I mean, respect for Nashville for hanging in, but it's almost a turtle derby to see who's going to nab that uh, Western Conference uh, second wild card spot uh, come mid-April because nobody's really grabbed the bull by the horns, but you do have two and a half-ish teams still in the fight, three teams if you're super optimistic about Calgary Flames' chances. Well, and I mean, so they were 5-1-0 to start the year. Yeah. That puts them at 27-25-15 and 15 cents. I mean, that's not ideal. Well, like, where would they be if they don't get off to the best start, six-game start in franchise well, history? They might find themselves in the Bedard sweepstakes. We, well, we'd, I think we'd be having different conversations. Um, what do we make about the game itself Thursday? And and honestly, I, th- I think I already gave you a preview. I, w- I was really disappointed in that start. Um, against a team like Vegas, it's not... And, and Vegas deserved the win, full marks for the win, absolutely, it's just you would have liked it to be a little bit more competitive off the start. It was two nothing Vegas, and it could have been about four or five nothing Vegas. Just the amount of times that the Flames made bad reads, poor reads on uh, holding blue lines when there is no need to hold blue lines, and allowing forwards to easily get behind defense. It's like Vegas was having some sort of fun practice where they were working on stretch passes and the stretch passes worked like every time. And, and so I was really disappointed in a game against a team of that caliber that they came out as flat as they bit as, as, as they were through the first 15 minutes. And then they got a power play late on a silly holding the stick call from Teddy Bluger from Latvia. And, uh, they were able to gain a little momentum off that, and Lucic scores that goal. Manjapani scores the goal that gets called back, but you spot the number one team in the Western Conference a 2 nothing lead. Most of the time, they're going to close it out, and I know that they fought back and had leads Saturday against Dallas, but that's kind of the exception to the norm. The good teams, the teams that are fighting for home ice in the playoffs in either conference are usually going to close out 2 nothing leads on you, whether they're playing the Flames or anybody else. So that was the frustrating part for me is that they maybe Vegas takes a 2 nothing lead regardless, but at least don't make it easy on them. And that, that's what was so frustrating is that it was a flat start and... Yeah, they showed some pushback, and I liked their fight and all of that, 
But in the end, you dig yourself that type of hole, you're usually not going to win a hockey game. Yeah, you're not going to get too much disagreement out of me. Off the hop, it felt a little bit like a possession drill for the Vegas Golden Knights where they're able to keep the puck in the offensive end for 20, 30, 40 seconds at a time, complete shifts, mix in a whole bunch of odd man rushes. I don't know how many times I turned to Julian at the Athletic and just like, oh, two on one, oh, two on one. Like it was not the best cohesive effort for the Calgary Flames. And when you're getting into the situation where everything is must win. You need to be better right from the drop of the puck. Now, having said that, they did push back a few times and they got it to within 2-1. They got it to within 3-2. And as a guy that would have had to rewrite his entire game story had that been tied 3-3 in the third period, yeah, there were some nerves because I actually did believe that the Calgary Flames were at least going to find a way to tie it and force overtime, especially with the wacky situation with Logan Thompson coming out with just over six minutes left and Jonathan Quick going in who... The Calgary Flames certainly welcomed uh, a week ago with his performance. And so all of a sudden you see that happen and then you're like, ooh, I better start writing a second story just in case. But to be perfectly honest, it felt like it was going to be an overtime loss to me. We know what the record is for the Calgary Flames entering the third period when they trail. Was it 0-18-3 this season? They don't have a come-from-behind victory when trailing after 40 minutes this season. But the way that that kind of went particularly the last 10 minutes of the game, I had belief that they were going to tie it, but I didn't have belief that they were going to win it. Yeah. I mean, good on Jonathan Quick for coming in. I mean, and and you know, I thought about it after the game. Of all the guys that you'd want to come in cold like that, Jonathan Quick, even at this point in his career, might be at the top of my list because... Really? Quick's never been a guy, he's always been an unorthodox goaltender, he's always been a battling goaltender, he's always been a guy that has has not been the type that you're like, okay, well that guy needs to be warmed up, like he's he's such an unorthodox, relies on his athleticism type goaltender anyway, so coming in cold, you're just, you're fighting it anyway, he always looks like he's fighting it, he won two Stanley Cups, winning and, and, and being an elite goaltender looking like he's fighting it, and I'm not suggesting he's lucky, but... That's just his style. He's always looking like he's lunging and fighting, and he's so unorthodox that actually a guy coming in cold, quick and quick, or Tim Thomas, or or that type of goaltender, it's kind of the goalie you'd want to come in cold like that. Okay, see, now I would have taken the opposite approach because the Flames scored six on 29 shots exactly a week ago. So when you started your, your phrase there going, that's the goalie you'd want coming in. I wanted to be like, are you talking from a Vegas perspective or a Calgary Calgary perspective? perspective? Because Calgary just lit him up. 793 save percentage in that game, a lopsided 7-2 victory. So Quick comes off the bench, ice cold, with like a minute and a half to warm up. Bruce Cassidy actually joked post-game. He wished Logan Thompson had stayed on the ice and tried to work it out a little bit just to give Jonathan Quick some warm-up time. But it was, what, 120 seconds between Logan Thompson bolting off the ice and puck dropping to, to restart the play. Yeah. To me, Jonathan Quick coming in with what the Calgary Flames had d- done to him a week ago had me had me sweating a little bit in terms of restarting a game story <laughs> from scratch. I'm not going to lie. And, uh, you know, and, and when the Flames are close to tying a game, I know fans are like, damn, I'm, I'm worried about Wes and Aaron and their game story. As they should be. And I appreciate those tweets and texts and concerns. I actually, I read them all, just so you know. A few texts at 960-960. Excellent um, segue. Wedley says... I still believe 18 points to be had. Don't dream it's over. Wedley, I love you, buddy. Uh, Keep the faith, baby. Um, This says, I'm finally changing my tune. I'm glass half full now because we're a couple weeks away from heads starting to roll organizationally. 
Uh, this says, I've tried to stay optimistic, and I still have some hope because crazy things happen, but it's hard to see a path towards the playoffs. Brent in Southeast Calgary says, Flames are eight points out of a top 10 pick and a remote shot at Connor Bedard. That's still a better chance than making the playoffs all aboard Team Tank. Uh, this says win five in a row. Then you've got Winnipeg and Nashville in front of you. Easier said than done. If they were to win five in a row with nine to go, and Ooh. that's when they decided to put together their first win streak, well, at least you can say they've got a knack for timing. At least you can say that. Um, this says they're a next year team. They always were. Let's be more realistic on our expectations. A good team, just give them time to build chemistry and that's where we are right now at 960 960 uh and that's where we are right now with the flames six point out of points out of a playoff spot with nine games to go there were some very interesting discussions had in the flames sphere on thursday there were some very interesting questions being asked about player usage um and I saw them on Twitter. I saw them on the text line. Calls were on this as well. There's a couple of different usage head scratchers that people had. Number one was not having Jonathan Huberto on the ice for an offensive zone faceoff with 20 seconds to go. And I, I was, when I realized that, and when I saw it, I was like, that's very odd to me because... I thought Huberdeau actually had a pretty good game. I thought he was dangerous for most of the night. He made a ridiculously smart play on the 3-2 goal. That, that That's the type of distribution that we've been talking about from Huberdeau. I know that he misses the wide open net because he got stick-checked by Hayton there, but then he goes and gets the puck, and I don't think he threw it. And if he threw it blindly, he knew he had numbers. So he threw it into the slot right onto Toffoli's, uh, sorry, uh, Kadri's stick. And, and Nazem ripped it home to, to snap his goal to Stroud. So that, to me, is the type of distribution you'd want on the ice in a six-on-five situation. And so I was, I was actually pretty stunned when it kind of dawned on me that Huberto was not out there as that six-on-five situation with an ozone face-off was going on. Now, uh, Daryl Sutter was asked about it after practice on Friday, uh, was asked about how he goes about determining who's on the ice late in hockey games, and then uh, uh, Salam from TSN asked him a little bit more specifically about Huberto. Here's what uh, Daryl said Friday after practice. Depends if it's on the fly or face-off. Yeah, so like if you, for example, you probably think about last night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we were, we got killed on faceoffs. So basically, we had Lindy and Bax both out there. So you got a ready lefty, right? So that was so that does affect a lot of times. You're going five and one, you know, like five forwards, one one D or four and two, depending on how much time there is, and, and two ready's on the bat, whatever. It's, there's a lot of different. It's not a set, and then when you when they do the timeout, it's just reinforcing. A, uh, usually, you have a, depending on time, you have two or three set plays that you just want to reinforce. So it's not it's not really anything new, but it's uh, but the personnel can change. So for Jonathan, who's a distributor in that situation, you didn't see a, a fit for him like the last minute of yesterday's for game. For who? Uh, Huberto. Uh, yeah, I think it would if. It would have been better on faceoffs than one of Lindy or, or probably backs. Jonathan would have been for backs because that's a lefty, right? But 
we needed the faceoff, and Baxter's going to take it. That's head coach Daryl Sutter after Friday's uh, practice at the Scotiabank Saddledome as to, you know, why Huberdeau wasn't out there, so on and so forth. Um, and, I, I mean, yeah, I was surprised by it, for sure. And, and I thought the other, the other one that people were very up in arms about, and, and I definitely saw it on our text line and on Twitter, was having the, the Lewis Lucic and Dewar line out there when they went six on five. Um, that was that was also I, I was a little surprised when I heard the uh, I, I heard the Vegas because I was downstairs in the in the hot stove by that time, and so watching it, you can hear Vegas say goalie out, goalie out, goalie out, and then Lewis has it on the right side. Now I get it that it was on the fly when yeah. they brought Markstrom out. But it was still with less than three minutes to go or less than two minutes to go, that line out there, which I know a lot of other... And again, I, I was surprised by that or was a, a little confused by that myself. That that seems like a time in a one-goal game when you want. And I know, and, and, and I get it, fourth line was probably their best line in terms of what they were being asked to do from start to finish. But conventionally, you kind of think to yourself... All right. Well, you want your best offensive guys out there in a situation where you're pushing for a tying goal with with everything on the line. I, I can't disagree with too much of that. I will in defense somewhat because they were still in that situation when the goalie came out. They had about ten or fifteen seconds left in their shift when Markstrom went to the bench. Because I, catching it live, I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that's that's the unit you're rolling with when you pull Markstrom out. But they did quickly change. And having said, just to echo what you said. Walker Dewar might have been one of their top five most dangerous players in that game with the assist to set up Lucic. Just his speed driving down the wing. Like, to me, Walker Dewar was Boy, did he dangle Logan Thompson at the blue line. (laughs) I mean, that too. So, hey, he could have had a two-point night if if it was Vegas that had knocked the net off and not technically Calgary and Lucic with the shove. That's a ballsy call by Logan Thompson. Oh, yeah, I don't know what he's doing there. Like, I understand that the net's off, but even watching the replay, like, you're not standing there staring at the play. Like, it, you catch it with your peripheral when you're the goalie in that situation. So for him to do that, like, that's... Gutsy, man. That's I, a little I, tough. Like, that's good conviction. It paid off, and the right call was made. I, I do believe the right call was made. Yeah. But it, it wasn't cut and dried yes. in game time. Like, if I'm right there... I give him credit. And you know what? I didn't see that. All I saw, I was like, I'm like, was there a delayed penalty that didn't get I was caught? Like, it got me. I'm not I was lie. very confused as to what was going on at the time. Yes. But then when Dewar scored, he shot it, and the net moved even more. So it's like, oh. That's just how hard Walker Dewar shoots. And maybe from the blue line. Uh, the uh, I was just like. Uh, that looks like the net was off. And yeah. that's why I was like, okay, I think I know what's going on. This is probably coming back. Then you watch the replay. Anywho. Now to address the Huberto absence, yeah. if you will. So correct me if I'm wrong. It was Anderson, Caudry, Backlund, Toffoli, Lindholm, Manjapani. Yes. I understand the logic on you want two centers. Okay. I, under- sure. I understand it. Picking Backlund over Caudry. Kadri on the seasons 47.5 at the dot and was 33% in the game. Backlund's 51.4 and 44% in the game. But then, then you start to wonder, okay, well, you're going to have to Foley on there for sure. There's no doubt about it. He's been your best forward. He leads your team in goals and points. So are we basically debating Majapani versus Huberto at this point based on the personnel? Yes. To me, 
I probably want the guy that's the better playmaker. Manjapani is the better finisher, the better scorer, and you do need a goal. But you also need somebody to make a play. So for me, I would probably go Huberto. But like to me, it's not so up in arms, cut and dry. I can't believe this is the scenario. But yes, I'm taking Hubert over Manjapani. I just look instance. at the pass he made on the power play. Yeah. And the fact that whether he's having a great year or not, he also is still your best distributor. And that's at six on five, he's even better. Yeah. Especially well, when you have a defense scrambling too, if you're able to pull one guy out of position, there's one guy on the Calgary Flames is best when an opposition is vulnerable in terms of creating a play, playmaking. It's Jonathan Huberto. He wasn't on the ice. But I do understand, like, I, it's not outrageous for me that it was Manjapani and not Huberto. But I'm still leaning Huberto. If you're, if I'm the yeah. guy behind the bench, I'm going Huberto. But I'm not going to freak out that it's Manjapani instead of Jonathan Huberto. Few more texts at nine sixty nine sixty. This says it's funny how the whole city complains about how bad Huberto is, and they don't use him, and everyone's mad about that. I think the city's just addicted to complaining. Uh, this says if Eddie the Eagle can jump off the ninety meter jump, having never done it before, then the Flames can jump into a playoff spot. I just saw the movie. That's from Ward. Um, Mike says, I uh, don't hear a certain person singing, um, and they are not mathematically eliminated. No doubt no. about it. Uh, this says, James, Jay's game starting a week, thank goodness. And finally, just as a quick transition before we hit the round table, this text says, has Coronado signed yet? Uh, okay, here is your update on Matt Coronado. Um and and this is uh, I I just I just did a little bit more digging in the last little bit. So he's his season at Harvard is done. His sophomore season in college has come to an end after Ohio State pumped him eight one. And so here's the situation: if if you're thinking that Brad Tree Living was outside the dressing room, ready to talk to Matt Coronado on Friday night after or Friday afternoon after Harvard lost. You would be incorrect. That's not what is happening. In fact, you're probably going to give they're they're probably going to give Coronado a day or two, the weekend, and then in the next 24, 48 hours is when you'd start to move in on trying to get him signed. That's probably what we're talking about um, from from the couple people that I've talked to. That's kind of the the ta- like why would you be talking about it right after they just got. Their, their season ended in a way like that. You're going to give him his time. So if it happens, maybe towards the end of the weekend. But yeah, if you were, <laughs> you're, I saw a couple of the, the Flames fan accounts saying, well, is his tree, is his tree outside the dress? Like, is he going to go get him right now? No. Um, he, uh, they're going to wait a little bit. And then I don't, they're still very optimistic and, and confident this is going to happen organizationally. But, I just don't think it's going to happen by the end of Friday. How's that? Uh, that would be the the best way that I would uh, classify what we're talking about when it comes to Coronado. Um, they've and they've been doing their background on this for a long time. It's not like it's not like they haven't been working this angle for weeks and months now. And it's not like we're talking about well, if Brad's not outside the locker room, he's not going to get done. Now they're going to get they're, they're going to be respectful. And, you know, I also thought about it like this. You don't want to make it seem like Coronado is one foot out the door. You want to give him his space. Let him let him do his team stuff. The number one priority is playing at Harvard. So I guess, long story short, 
I wouldn't expect anything imminently on Friday. Um, Going to give him some time, get over the loss, say goodbye to teammates, go through all of what happens when your season ends in the playoffs, and then you can start talking about next steps. And and I the, the, the organization still feeling confident that they're going to be able to get something done at some point, but until it's signed, you never know. And as of right now, now is not the time to be talking about that uh, as we're talking right now, hours after his season came to an end. Yeah, and for me, that's the right approach. It's not like this player was going to sign immediately. You hop on the private jet, you get him to Calgary, and he's in your lineup Saturday afternoon against the San Jose Sharks. There's no chance he's playing against San Jose Sharks less than 24 hours after what is a crushing loss in the NCAA playoffs. I don't even suspect that he'd be a candidate to play against the LA Kings on Tuesday. This isn't something that needs to be done in the next 20 minutes or it's not going to be done. You can let his season with Harvard breathe. You can let him spend a couple more, you know, hours or days with his teammates, decompress before you uh, give him the option or the opportunity to move on. Yeah. And that's a good way of putting it. And now we wait to see if they can get it done sometime in the next 48, 72 hours. Like, Dow, let him get through his... uh, end-of-season stuff with his team, and then go from there. Can't disagree with you, Pat. You put it perfectly. Uh, He is Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. We're underway this hour on Flames Talk. And AEW House Rules is coming to the Scotiabank Saddledome this Stampede. Stampede 2023. In fact, July 15th, 2023. All Elite Wrestling coming to the Dome. Tickets on sale now through Ticketmaster. Uh, $36.75 plus applicable fees and taxes is what you're paying for tickets for AEW. All the info at alleliterestling.com. Once again, it's July 15th. Tickets on sale now at Ticketmaster. And all the info on All, all Elite Wrestling, all their Programming and the House Rules Tour is at AllEliteWrestling.com. Hey, it's Haley Salvian from The Athletic. For a look at the latest on your Calgary Flames and NHL news, go click and subscribe to the Hockey Central 960 podcast. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Flames Talk is on the air and streaming on the Sportsnet mobile app. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Calgary. Time now for your Friday edition of the Daily Flames Roundtable, brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. The final days of 0.99% are up to 18,000 credit on cash purchases ends this Saturday only at Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. It's Steinberg, Aaron Vickers, and now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, to complete our Daily Flames Roundtable. Gents, it's been uh, lots of negativity of late, so let's go nice and positive here to kick off the roundtable. Um... On Saturday afternoon, Michael Backlund will become the third player in franchise history to play in 900 games with the franchise. Uh, He'll join Mark Giordano at 949 and the all-time franchise leader, Jerome Ginla, 1,219, as the only players to ever hit that 900-game milestone in a flaming sea. Gents, take it wherever you want as uh, Michael Backlund hits a pretty darn cool milestone on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, and I hope... He has at least one more or 100 more regular season games in him after tomorrow afternoon's game because it would be great to see him 
get a silver stick as a member of the Flames. Uh, it's too bad that Mark Trudano didn't have a chance to do that, but it would be great to see Michael Backlund do that. Uh, he'll need a contract extension to make that happen, but with the way he's played this season, he has probably earned one, but it, it honestly couldn't happen to a better guy. He's been a great player for this organization since he was drafted in the first round, 24th overall back in 2007, made his NHL debut playing one game in that 2008-2009 season and then went back or went to junior not back to junior and then got 23 games in in the 2009-2010 season and then was pretty much a full-time NHLer after that only played in one more AHL game for the rest of his career but you know it was kind of cool to hear him talk about uh, his journey you know, going from Sweden uh, to North America and playing in that NHL game and then having to go down to junior and uh, then to the AHL to, to get his game to where it is now. And that's as a, a premier 200-foot player in this league. And, you know, he's worked so hard off the ice. And I know he hasn't finished first in fitness testing the last couple of years, but he's still in great shape despite being uh, 34 years old. Uh, he, he puts in the work off the ice and sets a great example that way. And obviously he sets a great example on the ice as well. He does so much heavy lifting. Uh, him and Blake Coleman, who have been paired together for most of the season, uh, going up against the other team's top players night in, night out. And the great thing is not only is Back's done a great job defensively. Offensively, he's on pace to have a career year. His previous career high for points in a season was 53 back in 2016-2017 when he finished fourth in Selkie Trophy voting. This season, he's on pace for 55. And as Daryl Sutter said today, if the Flames were a better team... He might be a finalist for the Selkie Trophy this season. That's how good he's been. So just congratulations to a, a great guy and a great player for the Flames for more than a decade now. 900 games is an incredible accomplishment, especially when you play them all with the same team. For me, he's just the consummate pro. He's the one you want your rookies looking up to, whether it's how he prepares for a game, how he approaches his assignment at 200 feet on the ice. Hasn't always been easy for him to get here, and I wonder if he's ever wondered if he'd get to 900 or 1,000 games, which he's a season and a bit away from. He said it earlier this season, actually, it was about, what, two, three weeks ago, where he's like, I want to be aging like a fine red wine, and I think he's doing just that. As you mentioned, Will Z is on pace for uh, his best productive season in the NHL, and to me, he's everything you want, captain material, there's a reason I'm the vice president of the Michael Backlund fan club, and it's just his approach, his demeanor, the way he carries himself, the way he leads by example, and the way he leads in the room. I uh, I just think it's super neat to to see it happen. Honestly, um, I've uh, been covering this team full time since his rookie season, 09-10. Uh, and so other than the, the and I I was not, there for it but I was still I was here for that first game he played in the spring of 09 before going to Kelowna and then 09-10 was his first year full year in North America where he played with Abbotsford and also played with the Flames and I just I remember I it's just neat to to have been there along for the ride for a guy that you know, I, I remember that first goal he scored in Arizona on the road. And I remember the the different things that were talked about as he was having trouble establishing himself in the NHL and the talk of this guy being a bust and 
you know, this guy, he should be in the American League or trade him or, you know, it's time to cut bait and move on from this guy. And I remember Jay Feaster using the term once, you know, Michael, you're whistling by the graveyard when it comes to your NHL career. And, and that was all in his early 20s and, and as he was establishing himself in the NHL. And then to see how it built and, and some of the arguments that you got into on, on call-in shows or, or with, with other people on this station about is this guy going to end up being a full-time NHLer or an impact NHLer. And then, and then to see where he is now and to see that he's turned into one of the best two-way players, two-way centers in the NHL, and he's turned into a guy that if you're Daryl Sutter or Bill Peters or Jeff Ward or Glenn Gulletson or whoever the coach has been, you are just confident that you can put this guy out for important minutes against the best players on the ice on a nightly shift-in, shift-out basis and expect the guy to win that shift. He, You win with guys like Michael Backlund on the ice, and as an organization, you, you, you win with guys like Backlund off the ice. The work that he has done in the community, the things that he and his wife Frida have touched in, in Southern Alberta and all the different places that they've made Calgary a better place. I just, I'm, re- I'm really happy for him, and, and I hope he gets to 1,000, and I hope he does so as a member of the Calgary Flames. And, and the crazy part is, guys, he's playing his best hockey at the age of 34. He just turned 34 last week. Yeah. And you don't see that very often. You know, 900, 1,000 games, usually you're talking about guys who are still good but are probably plateaued or maybe on the, the backside of their career. We're talking about a guy who might be having the best season of his career and who might be at a point right now where he's as effective as he's ever been. I just think it's a neat story. Congratulations to him. And uh, I, I think he deserves all of the, the fanfare and all the, uh, the congratulations and adulation that he's going to get here over the next little bit. Yeah, and what was kind of cool for me, uh, just thinking back, was watching him evolve as a young professional in his first full season in North America, 2009-2010, when he played 54 games for the Abbotsford Heat. Because at that time, I was calling Hamilton Bulldogs games, and those two teams were rivals. As a matter of fact, they played eight times during the regular season, and they played six more times in the Calder Cup playoffs. So to watch Michael in his first full season in North America evolve as a player, going from a guy who was kind of offense only to developing into a 200-foot player who was also uh, reliable defensively. That was kind of cool to watch. I didn't know that five years later I would actually be calling his games uh, as a member of the Flames, but that's how it turned out. So, you know, his uh, story is a great one. And, again, you, you pull for people who are good people. And in my nine seasons covering the Calgary Flames, and I can say this with complete honesty, I haven't met a better guy than Michael Backlund, so I'm super happy for him. Yeah, you touched on it there, Wilsey, with the off-ice stuff. So did Pat with the amount that him and his wife do in the community um, for various charities, whether it's ALS, Special Olympics, you name it. Michael Backlund's always been available for the city of Calgary, and I think, yes, 900 games is an absolute great milestone, but we should probably do a better job of highlighting all the stuff he does off the ice to make this city a better place, and Pat did that, just that. Pretty neat. Good for him. And uh, he's going to get the the video tribute. 
Um, they've got some. Uh, I, I saw the. I saw the little logo. I won't spoil anything, but I saw the little logo they've got for Michael Backlund hitting 900. It's it's neat. It's good for him, and he's been a he's been a damn good Calgary Flame. And if they were to go down the road of naming him captain next year, I'd be all for it. Uh, and. At the very, very worst, he'll go down as the third all-time member in games played in franchise history. And next year, he if he's still here, which I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be, but you just never know how this, this silly business works. But midway through next year, he'll become the second most tenured player in franchise history. And then the season after, uh, we'd be talking about him in the 1,000 games range. Neat story. Good for Michael. And uh, I'm glad that he gets to uh, have this talked about going into his 900th game on Saturday. It's our Daily Flames Roundtable. Just quickly, yeah, Pat. Go ahead. Go ahead. I-, I know that you've spent the whole season working on a feature on jersey numbers. <laughs> at- <laughs> There's a little poke at uh, Julian McKenzie from The Athletic wow. who has actually done that and, and asked Michael about his jersey number today. And I thought that was a really cool story for those who may have missed it. You know, basically, when he walked into the Flames dressing room, uh, he was given jersey number 11 and went to Mark DePasquale, who's uh, one of the best in the business, is the Flames equipment manager, and said, you know, I don't really want number 11. So uh, the equipment manager goes to the head coach, who at the time was Daryl Sutter, and says, uh, Backlund doesn't want 11. And Sutter said, too bad, he's number 11. And as it turns out, he ends up marrying Frida, and her favorite number is 11 because her birthday's 11-11. So I'm a numbers guy, so I found that jersey numbers story pretty cool today too. We'll just uh, we'll just delete that so Julian doesn't come uh, looking <laughs> for you. So that you Spoiler alert. I gave him credit. I gave him credit. That's, that's what he's going to get. Uh, it's uh, Derek, Aaron, and Pat on your Daily Flames round table. Guys, nine games to go. Playoff hopes are are slim, not mathematically uh, impossible, but slim. But knowing that, knowing how everything went on Thursday, knowing where the Flames sit with nine games to go, what's uh, what's just one thing? You can really go anywhere with this, but what's one thing you'd like to see between now and the end of the regular season? Nine zero and zero. I mean, remember a couple of weeks ago when we were asking Daryl Sutter about uh, what he wanted to see from his team for the rest of the season, and I think it started at 23-0 and and then 22 and then 21, and obviously those didn't happen. But you just want to see the Flames continue to compete, um, You know, specifically thinking about tomorrow's game against the St- Sharks. I'd like to see a better start, and I'd like to see some desperation from this team right from the get-go, not once they fall behind in the hockey game and, and have to play a little bit more desperate brand of hockey. It's been a tough season for everybody. It's been a tough season for the players and for the coaches and for the managers and for everybody with the organization, but it's also been a tough season for the fans who have continued to support this team through thick and thin, through all the highs and lows of the roller coaster ride that has been this 2022-2023 flame season. So go down fighting. That's what I want to see from the team. I know that the math doesn't look good, but it's also mathematically possible for them to make a push for a playoff spot here. They've got nine games to go. Only two of them are against teams that are in a playoff spot. So do something that you haven't done a good enough job of this season. Beat the teams you should beat. If you do that, you've got seven wins. And then you are probably going to need a win against the playoff team and the Jets that you're trying to track down. So uh, it's going to be very, very difficult for the Flames to get to the playoffs. I I think we've all, even 
Me, glass half full guy, have wrapped our heads around that at this point in time. But I want to see the team go down fighting because even if they don't get in, uh, I think that sets the stage for the offseason and for next season. And because of the contract situation, I think the bulk of this team is going to be back. So I think you want to finish on a high note, even if that doesn't mean getting back to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, this is a tricky question for me because nothing short of making the playoffs and having to go on a big run over these final nine games would salvage this season. I don't know how likely that is. If you look at most models and money puck being the most optimistic at 10%, a one in 10 shot that they can overcome the Nashville Predators and Winnipeg Jets and make the playoffs. I don't know what I want to see. I'm sure you want to see some kids get in and I know fans want to do that, but if you're still competitive and you still have a mathematical chance, you want to see the push that doesn't happen. You want to set the tone for next year. But again, you're talking about a season ending in April and a regular season starting next October. So how much of that can carry over? Would you like to see glimpses of some of your top players performing at their top level? Yes, but again, it might be a case of too little too late. So they're going to do it when most of the pressure is off. I can see that rubbing some people the wrong way. So to answer the question, Pat, I, I don't know what I want to see short of you know, coming away with seven of nine wins and being right in the thick of things until the final day of the regular season. All uh, here's what I would like to see. I, I'd I'd like to see them give some uh, younger players more opportunity here. I would. Um, I look at what Nashville's doing, guys. I look at what some other team Vancouver's doing. There are a lot. If you if you if you're looking for this team to go on a run. I think you've got as good or a better chance of doing that by putting Pelche back in, by keeping Dewar in. Maybe maybe a couple of American League call-ups can get in there as well. You don't have a roster limit anymore. I just I think I think an infusion of youth could absolutely help in this team doing what you just said, Vix, or doing what you just said, showing some fight. Uh, because I look at what Nashville's done, what you know, we're seeing like Tomasino and Evangelista and guys who have gotten larger opportunities because players have been traded away and chances have opened up for them. And same in Vancouver with younger players and the opportunities they're giving them. With them essentially, you know, they they, they knew that their season was not going to end in a playoff berth. And I know that there's six out, and you can tell me all you want that well, there's 18 points on the table. We got to ice the best possible lineup. What has that done for you? You're six points out through 73 games. Why not see if uh, – I'm not saying that this is going to happen, guys, but it's what I'd like to see. If, if you're asking me, I think giving some younger players an opportunity and seeing if they can turn that into a boost for the team on the ice, that, that might do – that might kind of lead to exactly what both you guys are talking about. Yeah, you asked me one thing I'd like to see, Pat. If I were to expand on that, I would definitely like to see Jacob Pelche back in the lineup again. And if there are a couple of players that are currently with the Stockton Heat who have earned an opportunity to play for the Calgary Flames, even just to get a cup of coffee between now and the end of the regular season, I'd like to see that as well. Now, I'm not saying that you just hand jobs out to young players, but if they've earned an opportunity to get a call-up and get a taste of what uh, life is like in this league, then give them that chance. The other thing that I'd really like to see, and uh, I think the clock's ticking now, I'd like to see them sign Matt Coronado because 
I think he's their top prospect. And he does something that the Flames, at times at least, have had a tough time doing this season, and that's putting the puck in his opponent's net. And I don't want to worry about him walking away. So the sooner they can get him signed, even if that means they have to guarantee him some games this season, I'd like to see that happen as well. Anybody object to a couple games for Dustin Wolf? At the end of the year? I don't. I don't object to it. I do. Even Uh, even if they're out of it? Yeah. uh, I mean, I would just leave him alone. He's having a great season for the Calgary Wranglers. He's going to gain invaluable experience playing in the Calder Cup playoffs. Might even lead that team to a championship. You've got Jacob Markstrom and Dan Vladar, who are going to be your goaltenders going forward, unless you trade one of them, which I don't see happening. Yeah, I would just, uh, I would leave him alone and let him continue to develop. That would, that's how I'd handle it. We're going to do that another time. We've got lots of time to yeah, do that. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, thank you, Wilsey. Okay, have a great weekend, everybody. Derek Wills, Aaron Vickers, Pat Steinberg. There's your Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Loyalty customers save up to 0.99 interest rates on all in-stock 2022 models only until this Saturday, only at Mercedes-Benz Country Hills. Uh, Pat, Aaron, wrap it up this hour. Boy, we got tripped up on best bets on Thursday. Ooh. It's turned it into a touch-and-go Friday. Time for your Flames Talk best bets to wrap up the hour. Brought to you by Bodog.net. Find your next favorite game at Bodog.net. Hashtag make a play. Free play only. 18 plus. Play responsibly. Yeah, we went 0-3 on Friday. Wah, wah. Didn't hit either of our shot props. Uh, Bergeron under. Ehlers under. Carlson didn't pick up a point. Yeah, it was just a rough one. A rough, rough Thursday. So we're at six and five on the week. We need a good finish to keep this streak and make it seven consecutive weeks of being in the black. Uh, so I've got two for you on a Friday. Uh, I've got Nathan McKinnon over four and a half shots versus Arizona. And I've got Anders Lee of the Islanders over two and a half shots versus Columbus. Come on, baby. Don't let me down. That's what I want to see. I mean, fair enough. I don't have anything teed up. I was just basking in the glory of my uh, over on two and a half. Nazem Kadri finished with seven, and I think he had another four that were blocked or wide. So 11 attempts from Nazem Kadri, but that doesn't matter. Those are your Flames Talk best bets. McKinnon over four and a half shots. Lee over two and a half shots. That'll wrap up this hour. Your Flames Talk best bets brought to you by Bodog.net. Find your next favorite game at Bodog.net. Hashtag make a play. Free play only. 18 plus. Play responsibly.